My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 49, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Exodus 33 and 34, Leviticus 24, and Psalms 81. Exodus 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments out Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to the tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead the people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you. I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name the Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. 
Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning. As the Lord had commanded him, he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation and all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I commanded you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, sm smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asheron poles. Do not worship any other gods, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Do not make any idols. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days eat bread made without yeast. As I commanded you, do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, for in the month you came out of Egypt. The first offspring of every womb belongs to me, including all the firstborn males of your livestock, whether from herd or flock. Redeem the firstborn donkey with a lamb, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem all your firstborn sons. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest, even during the plowing seasons and harvest you must rest." Celebrate the festival of weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the festival of ingathering at the turn of the year. Three times a year, all your men are to appear before the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel. I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your territory, and no one will covet your land when you go up three times each year to appear before the Lord your God. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast, and do not let any of the sacrifice from the Passover festival remain until morning. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights, without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. 
but whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak to the Lord. Leviticus 24. The Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites to bring your clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning continually. Outside the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant law and the tent of meeting, Aaron is to tend the lamps before the Lord from evening till morning, continually. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. The lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord must be tended continually. Take the finest flour and bake 12 loaves of bread. Using two tenths of an ephah for each loaf, arrange them in two stacks, six in each stack on the table of pure gold before the Lord. By each stack, put some pure incense as a memorial portion to represent the bread and to be a food offering presented to the Lord. This bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath, on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting covenant. It belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in the sanctuary area because it is most holy part of their perpetual share of food offerings presented to the Lord. Now the son of an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father went out among the Israelites, and a fight broke out in camp between him and an Israelite. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name with a curse, so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelemeth, the daughter of Dibri, the Danite. They put him in custody until the will of the Lord should be made clear to them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the blasphemer outside the camp. All those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head, and the entire assembly is to stone him. Say to the Israelites, Anyone who curses their God will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to put to death. The entire assembly must stone them. Whether the foreigner or a native-born, when they blaspheme the name, they are to be put to death. Anyone who takes the life of a human being is to be put to death. Anyone who takes the life of someone's animal must make restitution, life for life. Anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has afflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Whoever kills an animal must make restitution, but whoever kills a human being is to be put to death. You are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. I am the Lord your God. Then Moses spoke to the Israelites, and they took the blasphemer outside the camp and stoned him. The Israelites did as the Lord commanded Moses. Psalm 81. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Begin the music. Strike the timbrel. Play the melodious harp and lyre. Sound the ram's horn at the new moon. And when the moon is full on the day of our festival, this is a decree of Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. When God went out against Egypt, he established it as a statute for Joseph. I heard an unknown voice say, I removed the burden from their shoulders. Their hands were set free from the basket. In your distress, you called and I rescued you. I answered you out of a thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear me, my people, and I will warn you. If you would only listen to me, Israel, you shall have no foreign God among you. You shall not worship any God other than me. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. If my people would only listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways, 
how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him, and their punishment would last forever. But you would be fed with the finest of wheat. With honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. In this story, we read how God will remain faithful, sending an angel with us, with them, but he will not go. This was not the plan, and this is not the end. But somehow, we understand this sense of utter frustration when you love someone and they choose to hurt themselves and hurt you with their agency. It hurts. It breaks your heart. It's disappointing. It makes you mad. This betrayal has been happening to God by humans since Genesis 3 over and over again. Yet, the plan is still in place, and Moses is seeking clarity from God. Who will this angel, this messenger, be that will go before me? I love how Moses is leaning into God's will and God's way, asking follow-up questions. Dr. Imes also points out how in chapter 33, verse 12 to 17, that Yahweh God is promising his presence will go and that he will specifically give Moses rest. And while God seems to be speaking in the singular, Moses is interceding again, asking God to extend it to plural, to us. If we remember back in early Exodus when Moses asked God, who am I? And God said, I will be with you. There's this remembrance that this distinguishing factor between Yahweh God and all other gods is his presence, his living presence in a relationship with the people. He called to represent him on earth. It's not material idols or monuments, but God himself. God says in verse 17, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses asked for God's presence and all God's glory and goodness. The presence of God is a mark of favor. Dr. Tim Mackey and John Collins describe how Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7 are one of the most quoted passages in scripture throughout the rest of the story. As an academic, something that is cited a lot signals its importance to the subject, to the story. This part of the story really speaks to God's immutable character, which we've been reading about so far in the story. We're reading that God is slow to anger, but also just. Dr. Imes sees them as holistic and complementary, not as opposites. I think our American characterizations of attributes make it hard to see it that way, but at the same time, this is what Scripture is saying is true. I think it's our culture which we can't help but see the Bible through that makes us want to decide between or see an unresolved contrast between slow to anger but also not willing to clear the guilty. There's a cost to moral defection that must be paid. Consider if you are the victim of someone else's sin on you. What does this understanding of God's character mean? Consider if you are the guilty one. What does this mean? There's a message for both, and to be fair, we are both. We are both the perpetrators of sin and the victims of it in the alienated and dislocated state we're in. God has also made a way for the repentant. God responds to our contrition. Dr. Imes reminds us that God is making a way to refresh, renew, redeem, and cover the cost. I'm reminded that God is wisdom, and we cannot fully understand it. Remember, there is provincial wisdom as described in Proverbs. The complexity of how the alienated and dislocated world is not quite fair in Ecclesiastes, and how we cannot fully understand God's wisdom in Job, and when there's a conflict between understanding and knowing, God is asking us to trust in His immutable character. 
He is merciful and he is just. And the only, in quotes, right way is his way. We are in God's world and we must trust in his character and our relationship with him. Even when we do not understand now or understand at all, I'm encouraged to stay in the relationship, trust in his character and promises. Sometimes I think we confuse mercy for niceness and justice for aggression. The president of the university I work for, Dr. Barry Corey from Biola, wrote an incredible book in 2016 called Love Kindness, Discover the Power of a Forgotten Christian Virtue. I want to read an excerpt from this book to explain how I think mercy is confused for niceness and justice for aggression. Links to the blog and book are in the show notes. And on the other hand, there is the way of niceness. Whereas aggression has a firm center and hard edges, Niceness has soft edges and a spongy center. Niceness may be pleasant, but it lacks conviction. It has no soul. Niceness trims its sails to prevailing culture winds and wanders aimlessly, standing for nothing and thereby falling for everything. Kindness is certainly not aggression, but it's also not niceness. Niceness is cosmetic. It's bland. Niceness is keeping an employee in the job, knowing he's no longer the right fit, but failing him in the company because you don't have the courage to do the kind thing. Kindness calls you to tell him he's not the person for the position and then dignifying him in the transition. Kindness is fierce, never to be mistaken for niceness. They're not the same and never were. Kindness is neither timid nor frail, as niceness can be so easily. Kindness is all over the Bible, plentiful in both Testaments. But you won't find niceness there once, or nice for that matter. The ideals of kindness are rooted in scripture, founded on Christian theology and tested over the millennia by followers of Jesus. Since the early church, disciples have walked the risky and sometimes dangerous road of kindness. In today's polarizing culture, we are often pulled towards one way or the other, towards the extremes of soft centers or hard edges. I'm proposing a different approach, a third way. Rather than harshness of firm centers and hard edges, and rather than the weakness of spongy centers and soft edges, why don't we start with kindness? Kindness is the way of firm centers and soft edges. Firm centers, soft edges. Kindness is a biblical way of living. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit on Paul's short list in Galatians 5. It's not a duty or an act. It's the natural response and the result of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. We exhale kindness after we inhale what's being breathed into us by the Spirit. Kindness radiates when we're earnest and about living the way of Christ, the way of the Spirit. Kindness displays the wonders of Christ's love through us. Hmm. I just think it's so important to remind myself that mercy is not niceness and justice is not necessarily aggression. I love that. Firm center, soft edges. Developing a more biblically-centered understanding of mercy, kindness, and justice are of such importance to how we represent God well in today's culture. This passage in Exodus emphasizing that God will maintain loyal love for thousands, this is a large number, and at the same time, the iniquities, the betrayals of the previous generations, will have an effect on the third and fourth generation. Dr. Imes and Dr. Mackey point to the narrative contrast between the effect of sin lasting a few generations, but God's loyal love lasting for thousands. His love is wider and deeper than his punishment. God has already been betrayed in this story countless, countless times. Because we are human, I think we can't help and empathize with the humans that, like us, have and are and will be the betrayers. But I'm convicted and convinced to consider how it must feel 
to God, to create people, sharing a portion of power and authority, giving them agency and directed purpose to flourish and have them constantly and quite quickly betray instead of dwell, abide, rest in the relationship created. Ah, it's hard to imagine. Dr. Mackey asks, how does a faithful and loyal God deal with such a rebellious people? How do you rescue a rebellious person? This is his mission throughout the entire story. God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. Each of these qualities is explored at greater length on the Bible Project, and I've linked each visual commentary in the show notes. In our binary culture, we are probably trying to grapple with whether we think God is merciful or just, or perhaps we're putting another word in those places. Dr. Mackey points back to Genesis to remind us how God selected Abraham and told him that he would rescue all the nations, the world, through him. Then we move to Exodus where God rescues the people in Act 1 and then calls the people into a partnership, a covenant in Part 2, in order to be shaped from and where they were towards God's immutable character and values, a restoration and redemption project, the purpose to represent God well. Dr. Imes describes how Exodus 34, 6 through 7 are God's introduction to his character, but there's an overwhelmingness to it, a sense of mystery because we cannot just comprehend all this through a couple of lines of syntax, like he's compassionate or gracious. It's not like we understand all that that means right away. The introduction is to a relationship where these characteristics will become clearer and clearer and more revealed, but it will take time. God has already rescued, protected, provided, and brought into close relationship his people. The last thing I want to point out is Moses' face and being radiant in Exodus 34, verses 29 to 35. It was so evident and overwhelming that he put a veil over it. Being in God's presence changes us. We become more radiant, more capable of representing God well as an outpouring of who he is in us, for us, through us. Dr. Imes points to how 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 in Paul's letters describes how he similarly discusses the unveiled faces will be transformed in God's image. I love that we're spending time in scripture. I think it's one important part of coming close and spending time with God. Commentators in Dr. Imes' class remind me how we become what we worship. We are what we love. We are we become what we behold. My prayer is that you feel God's presence, his radiance on you today, this week, and that it transforms you and your role of representing him in your spheres of influence. Hmm. This picture of Moses being physically radiant is like a foreshadowing, maybe, of new creation, who we are becoming as we bask in his presence. It's so inspiring. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.